Hey guys, welcome to another episode of True Crimes and Weird Times. I'm Ashley, and Kim is on a Christmas cruise. However, it made me think of a case I'd heard about a long time ago, and I thought I would share the story of Amy Lynn Bradley, a young woman who boarded a cruise ship with her family in 1998 and disappeared without a trace. Bradley was 23 years old. She lived in Chesterfield County, Virginia, and had attended Longview University, a local college where she graduated in physical education. She was pretty athletic, even gaining a scholarship in basketball. She was known for being a really great swimmer and was recently a lifeguard. She was getting ready to start a new job at a computer consulting firm after her graduation. Her father, Ron, had won tickets through his employer, to go on a cruise, and while it was just supposed to be Ron and Ava who took this trip initially, they decided to bring the family along, just kind of have a family vacation, celebrate Amy's graduation and getting her new job. It took a little persuading to get Amy to even go on this trip, because while she was a great swimmer, she was not a huge fan of the open ocean. But she decided to put her fears aside and just have a good time despite her fear of the ocean. So, on March 21st, 1998, the Bradley family, which consisted of Amy, her brother Brad, and their parents, Ron and Ava, boarded the ship through Royal Caribbean International Cruise called the Rhapsody of the Seas. The trip would begin in Puerto Rico, make a stop in Aruba, then to Curacao, a Dutch Caribbean island in the Netherlands and Tills. And up to the night of her disappearance, It seemed like a perfectly normal trip. Amy put aside her fears of the ocean and was able to distract herself with plenty to do. And if you're not familiar with cruise ships, there's there's plenty to do. There are game nights, entertainment lounges, uh, dinners, dance clubs, places to shop, etc. There was just there was literally plenty to do to keep Amy busy. Now, on their third night of the cruise on March 23rd, which is the night before Amy went missing, the ship was docked just off the shore of Curacao. Amy and her brother Brad decided to party late into the evening, dancing at the Viking Lounge during a Mardi Gras nightclub party on the ship. They danced to a cruise ship band called Blue Orchid and even chatted and danced with the members of the band. Amy specifically danced with a bass player that they called Yellow, whose real name was Alistair Douglas, and... From now on, I'm just going to call him Yellow. Even in the last known photo of Amy, she can be seen dancing with Yellow. After a few hours, Brad decided to head back to their cabin and rest for the night. The ship's lock system recorded that he returned back to the cabin at 3.35 a.m., which it's worth noting that the doors only logged entries into the cabin, not exits. And Amy returned back about five minutes later into the cabin as well. Now, Ron, their father, recalled waking up when Amy came in and spoke with her for just a moment. She told him that she didn't feel well due to the motion of the boat since Aruba and decided to stay out on the balcony to get some fresh air and just kind of rest. Brad also reported that he and Amy both sat on the balcony and talked for a while before he went to sleep. Amy supposedly stayed awake for a short time after that before falling asleep herself. Brad says that the last thing he ever said to Amy was, I love you. And he was quoted as saying that, Knowing that's the last thing I said to her has always been very comforting to me. 
Around the time between 5.15 and 5.30 a.m. on March 24th, Amy's father, Ron, said that he woke up and went to check on the kids out on the balcony. He recalled seeing her on the balcony from about her hips down, lying on the lounge chair. He also recalls that the balcony door was shut because, quote, if it hadn't been closed, I would have gotten up and closed it. Now, seeing that Amy and Brad were still on the balcony, Ron just does back off for about another 30 minutes. At about 6 a.m., Ron got up again and looked out on the balcony and Amy was nowhere to be found. Amy was missing as well as her cigarettes and her lighter. However, it didn't seem as if anything else was missing from the cabin. She hadn't left a note, which is something she would usually do, or even taken her ID. Even her sandals were still there. Her father said, quote, When I couldn't find her, I didn't really know what to think because it was very much unlike Amy to leave and not tell us where she was going. Ron checked all the common areas of the cruise ship to look for Amy, and when he couldn't find her, he eventually woke the rest of the family up at 6.30 a.m. to let them know that Amy was missing. Immediately, Amy's family reported her as a missing person. The family says that the cruise ship resisted paging Amy at first, telling them that it was too early to use the loudspeakers and it might wake people up. If that wasn't bad enough, the ship had just docked in the port of Curacao, which meant that at any minute, the gangplanks would be set down and passengers would be leaving the boat. The family pleaded with the crew. They were wasting precious time, and the longer they waited, the lower the chances would be that they would find Amy. Amy's mother, Ava, begged them not to let any passengers off of the boat until they were able to find her. However, their pleas were ignored. She was stated as saying, quote, I got very, very panicked and frightened, and I asked them, please don't put down the gangplank. You need to lock the ship up. You need to back the ship off of the dock. Don't let anybody off this boat. Somebody's got my daughter. The family claims that the purser didn't make the first page until about 7.50 a.m., which was almost two hours since they'd found out that Amy was missing. But by then, a lot of the passengers had already disembarked for the day. Ava, Amy's mother, recalls, quote, I became more and more frantic because I knew that if she was in a position to hear the announcement, she would come immediately to us. And then I had thoughts that maybe somebody had her in a room and she heard it and she couldn't get to us. Now, it wasn't until around 12.15 or 1 p.m. that the search even began for Amy on the cruise ship. The crew delayed in any help to the Bradley family. They had already refused paging Amy early that morning. They didn't want to announce the disappearance or hang photos as not to upset the other passengers. And while the crew searched for Amy, it was only in common areas, not in staff or passenger cabins. However, and I'm not certain of rules and laws myself, this could have been because they didn't have permission to search the cabins. Maybe they needed a search warrant. But I have read conflicting articles that stated that they did search cabins as well and just didn't find Amy. In any case, of course, Amy was nowhere to be found. The search for Amy lasted until March 27, 1998, with no results. Royal Caribbean chartered a boat, and the Coast Guard used three helicopters and a radar plane to help search for Amy, and that also had no results. From there, Amy's family spent their time piecing Amy's last hours on the ship. She had left the balcony between 5.30 a.m. and 6 a.m. She had changed clothes. She had taken her cigarettes and her lighter with her, but what they didn't know is where she was going. They had found a witness named Crystal Roberts who claimed that she saw Amy early that morning speaking with Yellow again, Yellow being the bass player from the cruise band. She said, quote, I saw Amy and the band member walk over and up to the next deck up above us, and about 10 minutes later, he came walking around by himself. 
Brad, Amy's brother, had also noticed Yellow flirting with Amy the night before. He said, quote, she said that when they were dancing at the disco, he tried to, you know, dance a little too close and she had to tell him to back off a little bit. However, Yellow would deny this and authorities never found any evidence that he was involved in Amy's disappearance. By this time, Royal Caribbean was in full damage control mode and flew in a company lawyer to tell the Bradleys that they were not to have any more contact with the captain or crew unless the lawyer was present. Also, by this point, the cruise line had come up with their own theory that Amy had fell over the railing in their suite and had died at sea. Not only that, the cruise line told the family that they could try to find Amy on land, but that the cruise ship would not wait for them to return and they would be sailing on time that evening. Ron's employer the owner of the insurance company that he worked for and who had gifted him the trip, flew in to help the family. He chartered a private jet to help the Bradleys continue their search and fly to St. Martin, which was the next stop for the cruise ship. As they boarded the ship again, they informed the captain that the FBI would be coming to investigate. However, the company lawyer stated that the U.S. feds had no jurisdiction on the ship as it was registered in another nation and in foreign waters. They would need Royal Caribbean approval in order to board the ship. They finally decided to allow two investigators on board the ship, in plain clothes, to search. Of course, this didn't lead to much. They only searched common areas and crew quarters. They didn't go through passenger uh, cabins. And Amy was still nowhere to be found. At this point, it was all a dead end. And the Bradleys were forced to fly back to Curacao on May 28th. And then forced to fly back home without Amy. So, what really happened to Amy? The cruise ship... The Rhapsody of the Seas could hold up to 2,400 passengers and around 770 crew members. If Amy wanted to leave and disappear by choice, she could have easily slipped off the ship when passengers were disembarking, and it would be likely that no one would even notice. But the argument to that is Amy had a life back in Virginia. She just graduated. She had a new job lined up, a new apartment, and, I mean, even her beloved pet bulldog, Daisy, it didn't seem like something someone would want to just leave. If she had been abducted, then her kidnapper could also just as easily slip off the boat with Amy undetected as well. There's also the tragic possibility that Amy could have fallen overboard. The argument there is that it's unlikely since Amy's body was never found and that she was a skilled swimmer and a lifeguard. But in my mind, this is the ocean next to a cruise ship. I would assume that it would be hard to swim in the open ocean regardless but then you also have to worry about the current of the ship. Not to mention, what would the likelihood be that anyone would have heard her screams if she did fall overboard? And Amy was terrified of the railing of the ship. It took coaxing from her father and brother even to hold her near the railing, like she needed help standing there. And the railings were at chest height. It would take some effort to fall overboard anyway, but not impossible, of course. But let's talk about another theory. A man named Steve Reeves, who is or was, I couldn't find a ton of information on him, an editor of a cruise line trade publication, came forward with an idea. He is stated as saying, quote, There's rumor and legend surrounding slavery in the Southern Caribbean. It's not uncommon knowledge in the maritime community that young white women are considered to be very desirable to foreign procurers. Now, <laughs> There's a fine line with this quote and racism, so I'm just going to leave that there where it is. However, in general, it is common for women of many ethnicities to be trafficked worldwide. 
especially on the islands of Aruba and Curacao, where they were considered destination islands for women trafficked for the sex trade. In saying that, Amy's family, and I'm assuming in hindsight, remembers Amy seeming to get extra attention from some of the staff before her disappearance. Ron recalls a night where a waiter had asked for Amy's name, saying that they wanted to take her, and they, I don't know who they is, wanted to take her to Carlos and Charlie's restaurant when the boat docked in Aruba. When he asked Amy about it, she responded, quote, I wouldn't go and do anything with those crew members. They give me the creeps. It's worth noting that Carlos and Charlie's restaurant is the restaurant where Natalie Holloway was last seen before she disappeared in Aruba in 2005. Coincidence, maybe, but it's worth noting. Apparently, this waiter had also been trying to pass notes to Amy as well, inviting her to have drinks with him. But of course, she didn't want anything to do with him. Then, of course, there was Yellow, the basis of the cruise ship's band. Had he actually been seen with Amy early that morning? Who knows? There was only really one witness, Crystal Roberts, who saw them together. But there's no other witnesses to see that. However, Brad also found it strange that Yellow happened to know about Amy's disappearance before anyone else had. Around 9 a.m., which is about the time that they were going around looking for Amy, the announcement had kind of been made. He came up to Brad to tell him that he was, quote, sorry about what happened to his sister. Now, granted, the announcement was made at about about 7.50, so it could have gotten around to him. He could have heard the announcement, whatever. But Brad found that strange in hindsight. There were also stories floating around the internet later by the daughter of Yellow stating that he had had pictures of Amy, but it was never taken seriously or proven as far as I could find on the internet anyway. But speaking of photos, there were photos taken of Amy and her family that night. These pictures get printed out and they're set out for sale to the passengers like on stands However, Ron discovered that photos that would have had Amy in them had mysteriously disappeared. Now, the photographer remembered printing them out. He swore he had them up there. So it was believed that someone else besides the family had taken them instead. But no one really knows what happened to them. Since Amy's disappearance, there have been many sightings of her that make some believe that the latter theory that she was kidnapped may hold some truth. Shortly after the family returned from St. Martin, a taxi driver reported that he had been approached by a woman matching Amy's description who had frantically asked to borrow his phone but then ran away. A Puerto Rican police officer claimed that he saw a woman matching her description being forced into a taxi by a strange man in a baseball cap. A Canadian IT worker named David Carmichael claimed that he and his friends had been vacationing in Curacao and may have seen her. He said he saw a woman who was being escorted by two large men as they walked down the beach. David said the woman looked as though she wanted to speak to the group of Canadians, maybe because she realized they weren't local, but was quickly shushed by her escorts and was kind of moved along. He was sure it was Amy because he said he noticed tattoos that she had, which was a Tasmanian devil on her left shoulder, a gecko on her belly button, a Chinese character on her ankle, and a Japanese sun on her back. Now, David didn't report the sighting until after his return back to Canada, which is when he first heard about Amy's disappearance. So by the time FBI returned to follow up, the woman couldn't be found anywhere. A year later, in 1999, an American naval officer claimed he had made contact with a woman 
that matched Amy's description in a Curacao brothel. Now, this woman approached him, told him her name, and begged him to help her. However, the man claimed to have told her where his ship was docked and then kind of walked by and went about his knot. It took him three years to report this incident when he retired because he was worried that he would be in trouble for visiting a brothel. And by the time he reported, the building that he had sent them to was already long gone from a fire. So, again, no lead. Now, at one point, the family received an email from a man named Frank Jones. He claimed to be an ex-Marine and had received a tip from a woman named Judith Margarita that she knew where Amy was being held. She said that she saw Amy regularly in her neighborhood and that she was being held captive in a nearby compound by Colombian traffickers. Judith was able to give a description of the woman that matched Amy as well and even sing part of a lullaby she claimed to have heard Amy hum before, which matched one that Iva had sang to Amy as a child. However, FBI said, look, we can't really do anything. We don't have definitive proof. This this isn't going to constitute us going and investigating, and they didn't go. Now, thankfully, Frank Jones offered to help retrieve Amy with his team. Frank claimed to have seen Amy with a blonde-haired escort in the compound and told the family that this was the time to go in and get Amy out. Like, we need to get her now, otherwise they're going to move her and we'll never see her again. So the family was like, okay, fine. We need one last bit of proof that we want to make sure that this is real. And fortunately, Frank was able to send over a photo of Amy and a blonde escort, like, on the beach. Like, and they knew it was Amy. Like, they knew it. So the family flew down to Florida. They gave this guy the go. They flew down to Florida to wait for Amy to be returned. And then they waited. And then they waited. And she never showed up. Turns out, Frank had lied to them about the whole thing. The huge Colombian trafficking compound didn't even exist. And even the photo of Amy was staged to look like her. In fact, the blonde escort was wearing a wig and they had dressed some woman up to look like Amy. In all, Frank Jones had scammed the family out of $24,000, $186,000 from the National Missing Children's Organization, and, I mean, the Bradleys hoped to see their daughter ever again. He was sentenced to five years behind bars for mail fraud in 2002, and he was ordered to pay back the money he stole from the family and the organization. The woman, Judith? Well, apparently she was fake, too, and... She helped scam them. Even her son stated that she received $8,000 for her fake tip. When press finally started, like, stressing on her to, like, give a statement, she finally just said, quote, Maybe I'm a bad person, but with all my badness, I want Mrs. Bradley really to find her girl. Which is just disgusting. In 2005, a woman named Judy Marr claimed that she had come into contact with Amy. She claimed to have been in a restroom in Barbados when she saw a woman matching Amy's description come in with three men. Now, Judy heard the woman being threatened by these men in reference to a deal that she was trying to back out of. And Judy claims that she was able to get a quick word with the woman where the woman had told her her name was Amy. She was from Virginia. And this was just before the men grabbed her by the arms and dragged her out of the bathroom. So she didn't have any other contact with her. Judy was able to give some details that helped them create sketches of the men, but these sketches were just too generic to really give any ideas of who they could be. One was a bald man, which people like to um, associate with yellow. 
But, I mean, there's no way to prove that one way or the other. Now, there was one last sighting, and it's probably the most heartbreaking of all. In 2005, the family received yet another email from someone claiming to have found Amy. Now, they attached photos to this email, and the photos attached were from a Caribbean prostitution website and showed a woman named Jass. In the photos, the woman is lying on a bed in different sexual poses and various amounts of clothing. And, I mean, if you were to search for the photos, be warned. Uh, But there is one in particular that kind of floats around the internet, and it's uh, probably the most safer work of all of them. Uh, You'll see that Jass looks pretty eerily similar to photos that are on the internet of Amy. Um, In the photos of this prostitute her hair is kind of teased up and she's wearing a lot of makeup but her her facial structure is like really similar to amy uh i mean the bradleys were convinced that it was her and was sold into sex slavery they even had an ex-fbi expert who was i mean he he said he would bet his life that it was amy but there was no way to really find her there are just photos of her there Unfortunately, since no leads had been fruitful and nobody was ever found of Amy, she was legally declared dead on March 24th, 2010, which was 12 years after her disappearance. Now, as far as I could find, FBI is still offering a reward of $25,000 for any information that could lead to the recovery of Amy or an arrest or conviction responsible for her disappearance. The family is also rewarding $250,000 for any information leading to her safe return or $50,000 for information leading to her current location. I know it's been quite a while since her disappearance, but it's worth shooting out there. If anybody has any information, get with the FBI. And I don't know. I really feel for this family. The cruise ship let them down really crappy people like come out of the woodwork and just destroy this family and their hopes of finding amy it's like it's so gross and if anything maybe they can just get some closure of where she is what she's doing if she's okay thanks for listening like us on facebook at true crimes and weird times podcast follow us on instagram at true crimes weird times Email us your stories at truecrimesweirdtimes at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Bye.